and okay. hello and welcome to this Q&A episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast slash live in Commit 6. How is everyone? Great. Feeling good. Andy, every time I ask this, there's like this awkward pause on the podcast because Andy's always like does a thumbs up. I'm like, no one can hear a thumbs up. <laughs> yes, they can. We can hear it all over the world. Or every time we come on and I'm like, hi, and, and he's like, okay, that's great for the, you know, audio version. But anyway, Shona, how are you? I am wonderful. Do you know what we should do in future is that we should like all try and see how we are in one go. Okay, do you remember at school when like a teacher would come in and the whole class had to be like, good morning, morning Emma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll do that next time welcome everyone and you can be like thank you good Emma, morning Emma. would we say your surname good morning miss story gordon <laughs> yeah i prefer the title captain story gordon actually um which i think is apt <laughs> el capitan yes el capitan right i actually have the questions up for once oh no wait did i just Oh, you do. I don't. I don't. <laughs> oh, no, wait, do I? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, Francesca. I have a question about protein. I have a target of 100 grams per day to fit within my 150, oh, sorry, 1,500 calories. 150 would not be much. Um, I think I'm going to struggle as protein powder gives me digestive issues. Any tips on how to hit my target without eating lots of meat all the time? loads of different options with things if you eat dairy plenty with that but that might be the issues with digestive issues so um things like legumes and beans and stuff pulses but again you kind of got to be a bit more aware about your carb intake with that as well and um, but this is also a really good question to chuck up on the group and actually open it up to the forum because as four coaches we'll give you the same answers but you might get some absolute crackers from other people who are like, actually, do you know what? I've got the same issues. This is what I do. Um, so, so like things like that, there's been quite a few ones that I've had as well. Open it up to the open it up to the group. This is where we get the community support comes in. There's some really good questions that the coaches are going to have one opinion on it, but you'll have another hundred odd people chipping in and giving you ideas. So questions like that, pop them up on the group. That's always a really good one to do because there's some fantastic answers that come from that stuff. Yeah, I think, and, and also like, I hate being like, Google it, but Google for things like, you know, high protein foods that aren't meat. There, there's literally thousands, but like off the top of my head, I'm not going to be able to list that many. But as Andy's saying, things like eggs, dairy, corn, tofu, fish, like that kind of thing. I don't like eating that much meat either I actually eat quite a lot of meat here so I feel quite bad saying that I'm like chicken every day but at home I don't like eating that much meat and I would say I get about 80 to 100 grams of protein and the reason I kind of wanted to bring this up and talk about it a little bit more isn't to list different ways that you can get in protein without eating a load of meat because google is going to be better for that but I think remembering that so I've set that target as a way to optimize body composition while you're losing body fat however so for example I said I get about 80 to 100 grams I'm not in a fat loss phase so having a higher protein diet for like satiety reasons isn't particularly important to me 
Um, I'm at less risk of losing muscle mass because I'm not in a deficit. Um, I also fully accept that eating 80 grams of protein is not quote unquote optimal for hypertrophy. But I, yes, I have a hypertrophy goal, but also you can have other goals which kind of don't align with that or other values which don't align with that. So for example, I don't want to eat a hell of a lot of protein for environmental reasons. So I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, a huge sacrifice on my part of slightly reduced ability to build muscle, which again, I would argue is probably negligible in order to like sit around 80 grams of protein instead of hundred grams of protein or like 120, which might be optimal or something. So there are like considerations within that. Your targets have been programmed around what's optimal for body composition. But if you're like, do you know what, for environmental reasons, I don't actually want to consume that much protein, fine. But you also have to own the outcome that comes with that, which might be, um, a little bit more hunger it might be not quite optimizing body composition um yeah and you just have to I, I guess just know the pros and cons of each and then make your decision based on that how much protein do you guys get in out of interest um i probably am the same as you emma sorry Catherine. i'm probably about 80 to 100 because like that is that um I used to be like really obsessed with getting protein and I would get like upward of 140 um and then I, I realized that like my values didn't really align with that like I, I really like animals and I wanted to stop eating them and that obviously had an impact but I was like willing to take that impact and to be honest I've not noticed any difference in my ability to build muscle um so probably the same as you yeah and I I would like I would agree with that like I've not noticed any difference that's not to say there isn't a difference but when you look at the research and you look at the difference between having 20 grams of protein which which is going to give you really great muscle protein synthesis like saturation rates versus 40 grams of protein which seems to fully saturate muscle protein synthesis so like above that you wouldn't have any increase in rates of muscle protein synthesis but when you have to double the amount of protein to increase that rate by about 10 percent like, is it still worth it? If you're getting 90% of the benefit from half the amount of protein, I'm like, I don't care about that extra 10%. And in like real world practical terms, it probably makes absolutely no difference. Catherine, what do you get? My target at the minute is like 140. I don't get it every day, but like, that's my, that's my target at the minute and I'm muscle building. So I tend, I don't eat much meat either. I'll eat fish, but I tend to kind of, get that target by splitting it up across the day. So I'll try and aim for like five servings a day. So I'll maybe have like a protein yogurt before I go to bed, just to add that little bit extra in. Um, but yeah, there's not, I don't like meet that every single day. That's I feel shamed just because we have stronger values than you are, <laughs> than you do. And we care more about the planet. Like don't feel bad about it. <laughs> I feel like Andy's going to, I'm muted, oh Zoom, I feel like Andy's going to tell us that he's on like 250 grams per day or something like that and it's going to offset our our environmental efforts. Now I'm about 200 grams a day. Yeah, I mean Andy is just slightly larger than we are. Marginally. Marginally. (laughs) Okay, well that was great chat. Right, next question. 
What happens to fat cells when you lose body fat? I heard somewhere that you don't actually lose the fat cell, it just deflates and therefore you always retain the same amount of fat cells. Is this true? Asking because I've had laser treatment on my face and the claim was that it quote unquote explodes fat cells and then you excrete the waste via urine. Any truth in this as well? Thanks. I love this question because I totally geek out on it. Um, Yes, usually as an adult, your number, your total number of fat cells is roughly set. So when you lose fat or when you gain fat, you're not increasing the number of fat cells that you have. Now, actually, if you could increase the number of fat cells that you have, it would be far safer to be overweight. So one of the only problems with storing a lot of body fat is that your fat cells become very stretched and that causes inflammation and that's what causes metabolic outcomes. So if you could just create more and more fat cells, actually wouldn't be as dangerous to be overweight from a metabolic standpoint. You might still have things like excessive pressure on your bones and like movement problems and potentially not being as active etc etc there might still be issues but from like a cardiovascular disease type 2 diabetes standpoint it would be a much safer way to store excess energy um so in a way it's kind of unfortunate that that happens what you've done and what also happens in liposuction is like taken out those fat cells so you can do this by it's probably what happened with you is like freezing the fat cells I'm not sure like I haven't looked into exactly how they're excreted but you can remove fat cells the problem with that which I'll come on to because it won't be a problem in your case but the problem with liposuction is if you think of the total number of fat cells you have as your ability to safely store body fat and then you've taken away some of that ability then you will get metabolic complications or the stretching of these fat cells at a lower body fat percentage than you would have before. So if you have liposuction and you don't change your lifestyle and then you end up still eating in a surplus, you are now in a worse position from a health standpoint because you don't have any safe place to store that fat. Now you've got stretch fat cells and it tends to accumulate more around your organs. So visceral fat, which again, we know causes poorer metabolic health outcomes. So that's why actually liposuction is a really, really, really bad idea. What you've done is you probably, um, if it's just a very small treatment on your face, like I highly doubt that's gonna impact your total ability to store body fat. Like most people don't store a hell of a lot of body fat on their face anyway. Like I wouldn't be worried about metabolic complications in that sense. And you probably have removed the fat cells from that area or some of the fat cells from that area. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be stressed about that it's just if you like had a huge amount of um, fat cells removed during liposuction or something so yeah I love that question right next question Vicky hi there I was wondering about meal timing when I did bodybuilding stuff I would eat a protein pudding protein and fat just before bed and also some carbs if I'd worked out oh sorry oh, if I'd worked out in the evening it's a habit I've gotten into now. So after dinner, I'm always looking for something to eat. Do you think it's okay to carry on with my evening pud or is it something I should try and nip in the bud? Uh, what do you think about eating close to bedtime? Catherine, you just said that you have uh, pro like a little protein yogurt. So what are your thoughts? First of all, the rhyme in there, impeccable. Mm. <laughs> it was great. Um, 
Yeah, I think like, well, for me, the reason that I have like an extra portion of protein before I go to bed is just that I can meet my protein target and I can distribute it across the day. Um, like, I wouldn't say that it's either a good thing or a bad thing. And it completely depends on like whether you like enjoy eating before bed, whether you have any digestive issues before you go to bed. But in terms of like fat loss, it's not going to impact your results if you say you ate closer to bed. The only thing I would say is that some people like will have a habit of snacking in the evening which then maybe potentially pushes them over their calories which is in some cases like some people might want to avoid eating in the evening if they then like eat too much um but yeah i wouldn't say it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing um Mm -hmm. if it helps you get in your protein then great yeah and it doesn't sound like this is an overeating thing it sounds like quite a controlled thing like i really look forward to this in the evening before i go to bed it doesn't sound like it has negative connotations for you it also it's like this goes one of two ways as well like some people like oh if I eat protein or if I eat anything before bed and I found this more recently I used to be able to eat and then just go to bed but now if I eat within like an hour or two before bed like I really don't feel that great Uh, I don't sleep as well or I struggle to get to sleep so figuring out like if, if it's impacting your sleep it doesn't sound like it is and I know some people that are like eating something before bed actually helps me sleep so this isn't like a, a set thing there's actually some really interesting research I'm annoyed because I haven't looked it up in ages about pre-bed protein and it um, being beneficial to your body composition and I can't remember the details of the study and this is just one study but there was one study that showed that pre-bed protein even if the calories were in addition to um like basically calories were kept the same, like everyone was eating at maintenance, but one group had pre-bed protein, so obviously pushed them into a surplus. But it, that actually went more towards muscle mass than it did body fat. And I guess part of that is normally you've got this fasting period overnight where you're not stimulating muscle protein synthesis. And like I would say from a truly, and this is like getting into the minutia of like bodybuilding and potentially why your previous coach who was a bodybuilder suggested that you do this, but you've got this gap between when you go to sleep or your last meal and when you wake up and have your first meal of essentially not stimulating muscle protein synthesis. So if you can have protein before bed and if you have it with fat, it might be slightly slower digesting as well. A lot of people used to like, Andy, you'll know this, but bro bodybuilders, what they have before bed, casein. Yeah, because it's like a really slow release protein. I wouldn't like, I think that's just like a bit gross (laughs) because I just, I would just feel a bit gross with it digesting, but having protein before bed yeah there is evidence to have protein before bed like that would be beneficial so I wouldn't unless it's causing you any negative side effects I actually think it's probably a net positive yeah I think as well when you've got overnight obviously your body will be trying to repair and recover as well so that extra serving of protein will potentially give you a little bit more bang for your buck when you're when it's when your body's main focus is repair and recovery um but yeah casein was because remember casein was banded around as like the next holy grail at one point um and i just always found it tasted like absolute shit it was just great it was like grainy protein it's like really sandy um and i ended up just you know if i needed extra protein then just take a normal weight shake it suits me nicely yeah, and I think the main benefit was that it's slower release, but actually yeah, it's amino yeah. acid profile. Protein with is, milk, bit of fat in it, it'll slow it down. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Like the amino acid profile of casein isn't as good as whey anyway. 
So, yeah. yeah. Okay, Shona, any advice on not pressing the effort button when going over calories or scale weight going up for one day, missing steps or any sort of target, etc., for one day? Thanks. Okay, so we are all about imperfect action here. We don't care, like, we've got the accountability thread and people are all about those green ticks. We don't care if, like, it's not like you get extra points for getting all green ticks one day. I mean, that's a great day. But if it so happens that one thing doesn't quite go to plan, then logically it doesn't really make sense to just throw everything else out. Like, if you still do your best, that's going to be a lot better than doing nothing. So, yeah, just being aware that, you are like a product of lots of really good habits rather than like a few perfect days. Um, so yeah, uh, just be aware that there's, we're looking at the bigger picture here. It's not all about being perfect every single day. Yeah, and, and if anything, that's what's going to trip you up because you will never be perfect every day. Yeah. So setting those expectations and giving up every time you're not perfect is going to hold you back massively. Um, I really like that like when you were talking about how if you don't tick every box like doesn't mean that you shouldn't well or like if you don't tick one box doesn't mean you should throw it all and be like well today I didn't hit my protein target so do you know what there's no point trying to stay within my calories and there's certainly no point getting my steps in because I'm not going to make it to the gym anyway like actually the opposite is true and it's so funny that when you take a step back and you can try and be quite rational about it you're like it's the equivalent of losing 10 pounds and then thinking fuck it I don't want any of my money at all because I've just lost 10 pounds like it doesn't make any sense you wouldn't do it in other situations but we do it all the time when it comes to like health and fitness goals like if I spilt my coffee here I wouldn't be like do you know what I'm gonna pour all my coffee all over the table like it doesn't make any sense but yet in those situations we do it so part of it's about trying to get a bit of uh, perspective and and often you can see this in other people you'd be like if Okay, what would you do if your daughter came to you and said that she'd made one little mistake? You would be like, well, give up on everything. Like, you know, that's the kind of parent yourself attitude. What advice would you give to someone who you want the best for? You wouldn't be like, well, you didn't get your steps in today, so fuck your diet. Like, you'd be like, well, actually, if anything, there's even more point making sure that your diet's on point because you're not going to have time to get all your steps in today. And I get that that's a hard mindset to get into and it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. And it's nice to tick every single box. But if you want to get results, you have to move away from that. Like you have to practice imperfect action. You have to accept that not every day you will hit every target, but it's still worth doing more. Like even if you're like, I'm not going to hit 10,000 steps today, but I can get 8,000 instead of what I'm currently on, which is 6,000 that's so much okay great that means on average over the week probably still gonna be able to get to that 10,000 that's why we focus on averages over time so you're not like oh well I've not done today I'll just do tomorrow and this is why we'll always call people out when they're like if we say oh did you know how are your steps did you hit your target yeah I normally hit it for at least five days a week I don't care like we could not care how many days you hit it we care on average what's happening because that's what's going to dictate your results at the end of the week your fat loss results will come from the average of your energy expenditure and your energy intake over time, not how many days a week you hit your targets or how many days a week you didn't. They will obviously coincide, but in general, like you could get incredible results from 
not hitting your steps all week so six days of say like nine thousand steps and then one day of whatever it would equate to like sixteen thousand. that's your average hit doesn't matter that technically you didn't hit your steps for six days a week that's irrelevant because we're looking at the averages um yeah anything to add andy it's tying the emotional status or the emotional connection to things like scale weight and stuff like that just because you know, you've not hit your steps. That's not, there's no reason to be emotional about it. And I think it's because obviously people are coming from a place where they've potentially failed at fat loss in the past and it's been tied to emotion all the way through. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to break that connection with emotion and the scale weight, emotion and food. These things aren't linked, but we link them together so because we we're trying to do is you're trying to break that connection. Sorry. That's what, that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to break that connection so that people start to look at it a little bit more logistically and go, actually, you know, exactly as, as Shona said, you know, be better doing something than better doing than nothing. Like that's kind of how you've got to look at it logistically rather than from an emotional standpoint. Tracy's just said something which doesn't apply to any of us. Well, actually, probably applies to me given I'm in Mexico. It says one hot day doesn't make a summer and it's like in Scotland it really does like <laughs> that's it that is the, the summer yeah the <laughs> one hot day is the summer but I get what you're trying to say Tracy and I agree largely um okay sweet Sam Samuel's just saying the community spirit in this group is brilliant well Aww. can I quickly can I quickly jump in so remember we no, had moving on <laughs> So remember we had Bex on last week about her wedding, etc. We had the, the question yeah. about the wedding. So she's messaged me on Instagram. Um, hey, managed to listen to the first part of the live yesterday when you guys discussed my question. I've not had the chance to acknowledge it as the Wi-Fi here is a lot slow and Facebook seems high maintenance in the Wi-Fi stakes. Uh, just wanted to say thank you to you all for your advice. We got our full wedding pics back today and they're absolutely stunning. But again, I got a whole upset of photos that they didn't manage to get the right setup, etc. It was really, I was really upset that I couldn't shake, which again is ridiculous amongst the backdrop of how amazing the photos are. I sat and thought of your advice and on the importance of importance not of photos and had a bit of a word with myself and it has really helped. So just a big thank you for your rational thoughts. Um, and she's also decided to take some time away from the gym and she's going to focus on her steps while she's on her honeymoon. Great Good choices. Man. Where is she on her honeymoon? Mexico, I think. Oh, she's just down the road. Down the road. You're in Mexico, so it's not down the road. It's well, on yeah. the road. <laughs> it's down the road for us. Right. Next question. This is a goodie. Emily. There are days in my life where I've gone wildly over on calories to the point where I would have to severely restrict on other days to meet the weekly average. Severely restricting never ends well for me. I'd just like to point out here, that is great. Like even that in itself is like, I've noticed that actually severe restriction, surprisingly enough, doesn't go well. So I'm really, I'm like already impressed that you're like, so I'm not doing that. So anyway, she says, therefore, I'm trying to just get back to normal daily calories the next day and forget about the one rogue day. However, I can't forget that one day, sorry, I can't forget that one day, and it always makes me feel extremely disappointed that will be another week where I won't make any progress with fat loss. Obviously, it's not every week, but any advice on how to reframe this thinking? Or is it simply a case of accepting that the weeks where you have a highly, where you do have highly caloric days will have an effect on your progress, and that's the choice you have to make? 
I love this because it brings up so many things. I mean, like the final part is kind of like, yeah, like you have to own your actions. So if you do eat more calories, that that will have an impact. And like owning that is, is empowering. Like I think that people miss that out. Like owning your actions is really empowering because then you're saying I can do something about that. Like I've chosen to eat more calories. Great. No guilt about that. No shame about that. But will that have an impact? Yeah, of course it will. Like that's just the way things are. I am also really impressed that you're like, I'm not going to massively over restrict after every single time I overeat because that turns into a cycle and that will actually probably, in fact, not probably, almost always, given our thousands of clients that we've now had, lead to over overeating again. So when you over restrict, it tends to lead to overeating again and then you get stuck in this horrible cycle. So I'm glad you're not in that. Also, because this this doesn't seem to be that common. You're like, it doesn't happen every week. But what I would do is I'd sit and reflect and I'd be like, why is this happening? When does this happen? Is there a pattern to it? Um, if it's simply something like, yeah, every few weeks I end up going out with mates, we have a night out or something. If you can foresee that happening, then actually what is quite a sensible thing is being like, I'm going to save 100 calories every day this week because I know on the weekend I'm going to eat a bit more that's pretty sensible then you're not massively over restricting and overindulging and you're doing it like in preparation as opposed to in hindsight which tends to work much better um what was the other thing yeah but if if you find that you know it's not that it's just overeating for some reason is it boredom is it when you're emotional is it when you're extremely tired if you're saying it doesn't happen every week like is it once a month like could it be hormonal related like once you figure out why it's happening then you can come up with a solution for it or then you can manage it much better rather than just like if you don't figure out the why you're almost a victim to it you're like sometimes this happens don't know why don't know how like you can't find a solution until you figure out what the root cause of the problem is so that would be what I would do I'd sit down have a bit of a reflect like is this a bit of a pattern can I see any common denominators here that it always happens at this time of the month or that it always happens when I'm really tired or that it always happens when I've had an argument with my boyfriend like could be so many things that if you could highlight what it is then you can make a plan to overcome uh, yeah overcome that um Catherine shared uh I think it was Catherine she shared um it's like a chart that helps you identify how you're feeling it's like a, a circle. Did you share it, Catherine? It's on EIQ. It's about emotional granularity. Right, okay. I really like that chart and I've shared it with a client recently because um, she uh, finds it's like two hours in the day where she's like kind of feels a bit anxious, a bit bored. And she's like, what she does is she overeats um, during those two hours. And what I find with that, with that chart is it'll help her like, identify because it starts off at quite simple emotions and then it like spreads out and even just like being able to identify and name what you're feeling in that moment um is really really helpful um because like I know we're all we're all adults we're all like quite in tune with ourselves but sometimes it's really hard to identify like what it is you're feeling and what is causing it so um can we share that in the group perhaps yeah yeah absolutely um I think I think that that uh is a really good point I think most people struggle with that because they just gen like they hear like a word like anxious and they're like yeah, yeah that's how I feel and it's actually sometimes it's not anxious it's something else but you don't quite have the right word or the right way to describe that 
and actually even just like you say like delving into that what am I actually feeling it's not just sad like that there's more to it there's like something else to it and then once you get to the bottom of that 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 can be really useful as well um okay Rose is saying Hi all, joined halfway through, so apologies if already asked. Firstly, this is already changing my life and mindset, so thank you, thank you. Reprotein, I'm struggling to meet 100 grams for a for not a very fit person slash active gym goer. Would you recommend shakes or powders or continue looking at more protein-rich food? The research continues. We did actually speak about this at the start, so after this, go back and look at the start or listen back on the podcast. Um, but one thing I'll pick up on this is just because you're someone who doesn't go to the gym very often or what do you say not a very quite you're saying not a very fit um person doesn't necessarily mean that you need less protein and you could actually argue that you need more if you think of like what are the two things that stimulate muscle protein synthesis exercise and dietary intake of protein if you're not exercising that much and not stimulating that much protein on that side then if anything, you might want to make the most out of stimulating muscle protein synthesis on your nutrition side. And this is true. A lot of people get injured or have COVID or can't go to the gym for numerous reasons for a period of time. And then they're like, yes, I just stopped eating as much protein and I stopped taking creatine and I stopped doing all that. And it's like, if you're taking away one of the primary stimuluses of muscle protein synthesis surely you want to make the most of the other one i.e your nutrition side so like I mean Andy and I spoke about this post-surgery and it's like yeah if anything we're going to increase my protein intake for this period of time where I'm inactive because that's going to help me spare as much lean muscle mass as possible and it's same for anyone else who's like not able to train at the moment I get the thought process of well I'm not training so I don't need as much protein but actually that's kind of the opposite of what's true yeah so the same thing is when you start talking about um getting into like the sort of elderly population about increasing their protein they're not going away and squatting 400 kilos stuff well, some of them probably will be but um the reason that they're taking extra protein is to hold muscle mass and to be able to help repair and recovery it's not anything you know they'll probably train even less than the average joe so you know there, there's a reason behind that so yeah and and i mean added to that in the elderly population is um anabolic resistance so you're not as sensitive to the stimulus of muscle protein synthesis either by nutrition or by exercise so you have to really consider getting in more protein to have the same positive benefit that you would less protein when you're younger and you're very sensitive to the presence of protein so yeah older people need more protein but you're right most people are like I don't get to the gym oh, I don't need that much food and like your appetite tends to suppress a little bit as you age as well so they're like oh just yeah it's it's hard to get your grandma to eat protein but it's the best thing for her I think also looking at that question as well you don't need to you don't need to take protein shakes I think a lot of people do sort of it's it's a nice addition it's supplementary which as the word suggests is in addition to what you currently do um the best way to to start looking at this kind of stuff is this is why you know things like planning your meals is quite handy you know rather than and rather than just going in blindly and hoping that you're going to get 20 grams of protein that's maybe the one thing that you do focus on tracking when you're when you're prepping meals and simple things like, you know, simple people, like a lot, get a lot of people are talking about like, oh, how do I increase my protein at meals? Have some more. Like, 
150 grams of chicken rather than 100 grams of chicken or whatever your protein source is you know it's not difficult you just need to increase the the, the portion can the portion size and you'll get more protein for more protein for your meal and that's just down to planning and prepping like you know as much as it can be a bit of a ball ache planning and prepping sometimes it's necessary and sometimes you just need to pull your adult pants on and just do it you know if you're going to be able to work out how much protein you need then and you need to up it you're going to have to work towards doing that yeah you don't get results from the effort you didn't put in yeah um i i, I think that's like the simplest and most useful piece of advice with protein and i always kind of cringe giving it because it seems like so obvious but you don't need 50 different sources of protein you probably don't need a new to add in a different protein source you just need to increase the protein that you're already having so like the question at the start that was like oh how do I get in more protein without you know what are alternative um sources of protein like you might not need any alternatives you might just need to be like yeah do you know what instead of two eggs for breakfast I'm going to have two eggs and two egg whites and that's going to increase my protein serving instead of x amount of chicken I'm going to have you know a, a little bit more chicken or I'm going to have another scoop of um high protein yogurt or whatever you're having it really is that it really is that simple and as you, exactly as you said it kind of from our point it is a little bit like really but people well, no, it's more just like, like it's an obvious thing right and that's yeah. so much of the stuff we say is like really obvious advice but actually needs to be said yeah and it's just like you just don't want it to come across as in like we never want to be like patronizing but actually sometimes just from and it's not it's not even that it should be patronizing it's like you, you're so in your own head that sometimes it's really hard to see like what you need to see unless it's about creating and then you can be as patronized as you want yeah <laughs> oh god um okay well we've reached the end of el questionos does anything anyone have anything they'd like to share any news from the week i have a question from a committed client um, oh well if if you want to go over it yeah about maintenance um so as a bit of context uh this client's just moved from a deficit into maintenance in the last like two or three weeks and they're a bit nervous about moving into maintenance and getting fat. Um, so they had quite a few questions. Um, so how to increase calories slowly or directly? What's better? What's the difference? How to measure that you are maintaining weight and fat levels? What to do when you feel like you've gained fat? Go back into a deficit. When to go back to deficit, what to do when overeating on the weekend, let's say by a thousand calories, decrease the calories to seven days average. So yeah, they've got a lot of questions. And okay, let's let's do like quick fire maintenance. Right, what was the first one? Uh, first one, how to increase calories slowly or directly? Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can do it either way, right? I, I think, in some ways slowly doesn't make any sense because you're still in the deficit, right? If I, if your maintenance calories are 2000, you've been on 1600 calories to lose fat and I brought you up to 1800 calories, you were just in a 200 calorie deficit. So you're just in a smaller deficit. So I would just come up to about 2000. The problem is we don't know exactly what your maintenance is going to be. So it's a little bit of trial and error to kind of figure that out. Equally, you will never have an exact maintenance because there'll be some weeks where you move a little bit more, some weeks where you move a little bit less, and 
you know, life changes and life is in flux. And so is your energy demands and your energy expenditure and your energy intake. So bear in mind, like maintenance is a bit of a range. Um, the same will happen with your weight. So this is another thing like, and, and I'm sure Catherine will, will talk you through this because she's coaching you, but expectations of weight gain at maintenance, it will, you will gain weight. It will be partly food volume. It will be partly like water retention. It will be partly just like your like normal fluctuations, which you will have all the time. Like even if your body composition doesn't change, your weight will still fluctuate. Like it's no different than fat loss. When we say that your weight will fluctuate, your weight will fluctuate in maintenance as well. But what you're looking for instead of a trend down over the time is on average, your weight stays about the same over time. That's how we know that your energy expenditure is the same as your energy intake. Your concern about putting on fat at maintenance, if you're at maintenance, the definition of that is that you're expending the same amount of energy that you're taking in. So you can't possibly put on body fat if you're expending the same energy that you're taking in because there's nothing to be stored at the end of the day. Um, what was the next point? Um, what to do when you feel like you've gained fat. So I suppose that's back to what you said is the definition of maintenance is that you, you don't really gain or lose it, or you maybe do to a very small extent that you don't even notice. And one of my points was that like you, there isn't really a way to accurately measure whether you've gained or lost fat, like, you know, standing on those scales at the gym, like they're not going to, they're not accurate. They're not going to tell you what your body fat is. Um, probably one of the best ways of doing that is progress photos if you wanted to do that or measurements but even then they have their limitations as well um, yeah and who cares like a yeah. tiny amount like your body fat levels will fluctuate a little bit of maintenance that's this life you're never going to stay exactly the same like nothing stays exactly the same in life ever so accept that and if you find that <clears throat> you so for example, like I'm going to stay at maintenance now probably for about the rest of my life, but there might be like times, I don't know, after Christmas where I'm like, oh, I put on a little bit of weight. So I'm, I'm not going to jump back into a diet, but I'm just going to be a little bit more mindful because I've noticed that I've started eating way more after dinner. So instead of continuing to do that, I'm just going to change it up a little bit and I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like it's instead of huge dieting phase, it's like tiny tweaks that might need to happen I mean a good example of this is Hannah who put on a little bit of weight over Christmas and then she's like oh do you know what I'm going to tweak my diet a little bit we're three weeks in and now she's back to where she was before like it's not it's not I'm dieting now and then I'm in a surplus again and then this whole like bodybuilding cycle of bulking and then cutting and bulking and cutting and like that's completely unnecessary but what you probably will do is make little adjustments and notice you might be like oh I've changed jobs and now I work a completely sedentary job okay, we're probably going to have to change your calories because your energy expenditure is going to have gone down. Fine. Like, that's just life. We just make it work as we go. Uh, one of the things I would say about maintenance is probably the biggest head screw out of all the goals is sitting at maintenance. Muscle building and fat loss. Fat loss, I always find easier, but maintenance because you freak out. Like, that's a real big step to move to maintenance. And really good. It's, it's a great place to be, but you will probably freak out more there than you will when you're in fat loss phase because there are, you know, potentially, you know, as you exactly as you say, your weight will be fluctuating at a slightly higher level and you've been watching it going downwards on a trend. And a maintenance, is the trend is, it's supposed to be around about the same. So just relax, listen to Catherine for what she, her little tweaks that she's doing and trust the process like you do with the rest, with every other goal that you set. 
Mm-hmm. And don't let that be a self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, I'm going to freak out at maintenance. But it, you're right. Like sometimes it is because having a direction is like more simple than kind of trying to stay roughly where you are. But it doesn't mean that you can't have a direction. You can't have goals. They might just be different. You maybe have performance goals now or skill-based goals. Like, oh, I really want to learn how to do a handstand or whatever. Anyway, we always like, I'm sure that people have heard me say this so many times but I think it's so important to reiterate that people underestimate like maintenance as a goal it that that is the goal that's actually the goal for everyone you might think oh the fat loss is my goal you've lost fat before fat loss actually isn't that hard it's maintaining fat loss that's hard so maintenance is always the end goal for everyone and is by far as Andy's saying like the hardest part because I'm willing to bet that anyone who has tried to lose body fat before has lost body fat they just couldn't maintain it that's the difference like that's what makes a successful diet and actually when you look at all the literature on dieting and how people define a successful diet it's a follow-up period so it's either six months or it's a year okay yeah we know that people can lose weight in six weeks that's relatively easy to be honest it's the year later what position are you in or it's the six months later what position are you in who's regained the weight and who hasn't regained the weight that's how you define a successful diet so remember that when you're thinking, oh, maintenance isn't that important or, or like, I think what happens a lot is people lose the weight they wanted to lose and then they leave. They're like, oh, well, I've achieved my goal. I'll just go and do it on my own now. That's actually the hardest part is figuring out how to maintain that, figuring out how to live in a way that you can maintain your new body because that's the whole point is that you get the results and then you maintain them, not you get the results and then you slowly gravitate back to the position that you started in and then you have to start all over again. And that's exactly what we don't want on Commit Six. Like the reason that we're like as cringe as it is, like we want this to be the last diet you ever need is because we're going to help you not only get results, but maintain results. And then I suppose like the whole mindset behind that is when you've put that work in to kind of get over that nervousness of moving to maintenance is you can put that focus on other places in your life that, you know, right, rather than that preoccupation around food and, oh my God, have I eaten so, too many calories and I've gone out for dinner? Like you, you think about that less and you can focus on other areas of life, which again is one of the big goals and one of the things that we love to see in you guys. Yeah. Agreed. Um, was there anything else on maintenance or was that? Um, one of the questions was about what to do when overeating on the weekend um, by saying yeah. a thousand calories. Um yeah, Again, this guy likes just, to go out for dinners at the weekend. It's like a big part of her social life. And yeah. Yeah, so it's the same as fat loss, right? This averages mm-hmm. over time. So if you're like, oh, my average calories are 2,000, <clears throat> just save some calories during the week so that you can eat, eat out on the weekend. I would make sure it's not like, you know, because if, if you're saving 1,000 calories for a meal out, quite a big meal out I mean it's not it depends where you're going and if it's like very rich food then maybe it isn't that big a meal out but I'd just be quite careful not to over restrict during the week and then overindulge in the weekend and just keep it like relatively balanced still that sort of 20% rule is quite a good rule of thumb um, which I guess you could save on a 2,000 calorie average if you were saving 20% a day over the week then yeah like you'll have a decent amount of calories on the weekend so Great question. Right, we've got a couple more. Um, Gabrielle. Hi, guys. Hitting my calorie and protein target so far. I know the carb slash fat thing is flexible, which I love. But is there any 
optimal way to do a carb slash fat split for weight loss or will everything happen in the same way as long as I'm going as long as I'm not going over my calories Shona hi hi um, no you don't need to um it's it's definitely a waste of time to like be micromanaging that it depends on what you're doing that day what you fancy eating um, your personal preference some people prefer eating more carbs some people prefer eating more fat and um, not one way or other is going to have any influence there in my opinion so yeah just eat what you enjoy and lose fat while you're doing it boom nailed it yeah there's no real benefit people will have like the benefit is your preference like I mm. prefer to diet on lower carb some people prefer to diet on lower fat um we don't want your fat going too low but to be honest it's quite hard to go that low fat accidentally um yeah I mean we we definitely don't want you going below 0.5 grams per kilogram body weight kind of thing and ideally maybe closer to one gram per kilogram body weight but most people will habitually do that anyway that's why we don't emphasize it too much because you don't need to worry about it, it kind of just happens on its own um okay Sam, if our six-week program is for weight loss purposes, uh, will we get a maintenance routine slash recommendation before we graduate? Yeah, I mean, we're always happy. Like, the idea is people stay, right? The people who get the best results stay on committed and they form relationships with their coaches and we get to know you really well. And, yeah, like, I can't emphasise how important that is. And, you can take what you learn in six weeks and apply that for the rest of your life. Most people need a little bit more support than that. And most people by the end of the six weeks realize the benefit of coaching and realize the benefit of having a team behind them. And that actually you probably overestimated what you could achieve in six weeks, but also underestimated what you can achieve in like a year of consistent effort. So normally people stay on and we would suggest that's a great thing to do obviously that's why we have the grad program but if you're like no I'm gonna leave now then yeah of course like in your final check-in we'll give you some advice to go ahead and go forward like we at the end of the day we want the best for you whether you're staying in the business or whether you're not like that's like yeah I said all of us spend hours a day asking like trying to help people for free and answering questions for free so you won't get as much as you do from coaching. But yes, of course, we will try and help you. Um, can you smell what Andy slash The Rock is cooking? It's a t-shirt. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, do you know what? Tracy's on your wavelength. Obviously, I'm not cool enough to know what any of that means. Um, yeah. Okay, well, great live. Excellent questions, guys. I hope everyone's smashing their first week. And yeah, if anyone has any more questions, post them on the thread. And if not, have lovely days. Live your best life. Pop on to wherever you get your podcast from, iTunes or Spotify are now doing recommendations as well. So drop us a wee five star um, and make sure that you tag and share everything that you're putting on your social media if you've been listening. Yeah, we would love that. That really, really helps us. And then that way, we won't have to have shitty ads which take up the first 10 minutes of the podcast. It's a win-win for everyone. Okay, bye, guys. Ciao.